Would you guys remain standing with me as I read uh, today's scripture, which comes from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. And it reads, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Um, like Patrick said, my name is Mike McAuliffe. Uh, I've been a member here for about six years now, so a lot of new faces, which is really encouraging to see, and so uh, glad, glad you're here. Um, so... Um, probably about, I've been, we've been in Atlanta for about 10 years, and two years into home ownership, I met a guy in our neighborhood named Mario, and Mario uh, is a professional, lands- is to this day still a professional landscaper, and, and the thing was, um, you know, I, I was not a grass guy, like there's a thing to being like a grass guy or a lawn guy, not grass, but lawn, like he was a lawn guy, and so I called him up and I said, hey, uh, Mario, I... I know I have Bermuda in the front. It's time to do the weed and feed thing, but I don't know what I have in the back. And so what I'm trying to do is make sure I get the right stuff that I don't kill what's in the back and not in the front and so on. So tell me, like, what do you kind of grass do you think I have? And he's like, well, um, is it fescue? I'm like, no, it's, it's not fescue, but I like it a lot because it, it, only, it stays green all year long. Like, no matter what, it stays green. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, then I'm like, well, c- could it be ryegrass? And he's like, so do you seed it every, every summer? Like, do you actually seed it before the season? I was like, no, I don't, I don't seed anything, man. And so then he's like, okay, um, Kentucky bluegrass. I'm like, no, that's not it. Uh, St. Augustine's like, no, that's not it either, because I had St. Augustine in Florida. So i like, what, Mario, what is it? He's like, I know what it is. I'm like, great, what is it? Weeds. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I had weeds in my yard for years, and I did not even know it. And so when I see this verse and we talk about the fear of man, it's like a similar experience for me. I had this going on in my life, and and when I really became to understand what fear of man was, there was something going on in my life, and for the longest time, I had missed it altogether. Other sins had plagued me in my walk with Christ over the years, but nothing had so consistently eluded my radar like this one. So fear of man is being afraid of someone, but it's more than that. It extends to holding someone in awe or being mastered by people, worshiping people, putting your trust in people or needing people. Another way of saying it is this, making a person or their approval the God of your life. Um, and I didn't become aware of it until I read this book uh, by a guy named Ed Welch. Uh, It's called When People Are Big and God is Small. And if you've read it, you understand. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it, but buckle up. Um, It is just one of those books that is going to rock you. And before reading Welch's book, it didn't occur to me that the everyday things in my life, uh, the way I allowed other people's perception of me to dictate my joy, to dictate my value, were actually destructive and sinful. But as I began to read and process this book, it became abundantly clear how much other people's perception of me was a driving force behind the majority of my actions. And um, the reality is I'm not alone in this. And Ed Welch says it in his book, fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. So in preparation for this morning, I actually called a couple of my friends who are are counselors, and I asked them this question. I was like, you know what? Um, Fear of man, how real is it? And and 
without a doubt, to a man, every person I talk to said, Mike, it is the number one thing that we deal with in our counseling sessions. It is the thread that goes through everything that we do. Everything. And the problem is, fear of man, it awfully, often goes undiagnosed, and it's kind of subtle too, because it masquerades like in this robes of love because we're pretending to count more, others more significant um, while secretly also needing others to fan the flames of our own conceit. <laughs> Fear of man, it proof texts verses like 1 Corinthians 10.33 that say, I try to please everyone in everything I do while quietly refusing to finish that sentence, not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. But if we wipe away the facade, the fear of man is desperate, and it is vicious, and it is cruel. And here's what I've come to realize. You follow the one that you fear. And that's the big idea today. You follow the one that you fear, the person who you are worried the most about and what they think of you you end up following them with your lives. So my question is, what are you, or who are you following this morning? Like, who has your allegiance? And the fear of man, it is a real thing. And fortunately, the Bible talks about it in Proverbs 29, 25, where it says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about the fear of man Let's talk about how it affects us, what is it, and as Christians, what we are to do about it. So what, what is it, how it affects us, and what we are to do about it. And so when looking at Scripture, you'll start to realize that most of the issues that are, are common to man show up or happen anywhere in Genesis or up to Exodus in the wilderness wandering. So like if you look at any type of sin, any type of issue, the majority of it happens basically from Genesis chapter 3 through the Exodus. That's just standard. And so one of the things that you'll also see with, with um, fear of man, that it becomes most prevalent in the Exodus. And so we see when, um, you know, so I think it's in Numbers when it talks about like, hey, we're here, you, you're going to take over this land, you're going to go into this land and, and take what is yours. And like this is a command from God. And in Numbers 13 and 14, the people say, we, we can't go into the land because there's giants in the land. And so they did not go into the land because there's giants in the land. And the question is, will it be the word of your God who has just demonstrated his supremacy over the strongest nation in that era, or will it be those in the land who seem to be especially strong? Like whose words, like whose eyes will control you? And, and before we unpack this, I, th I think it's important to understand why our desire for approval and fear is for, of disapproval is so strong. So we may assume that it's simply a consequence of the fall, but at its core, it's not. So God actually designed us to be motivated by these emotionally powerful forces because they uniquely reveal in us like what we love, like they reveal to us like who we are and what we love. And so the, and the fear that we talk about comes right from that, that passage and the verse in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It is a fear of losing or not obtaining something that we really desire, which is why it wields so much power over us. 
And when we, our fear is misplaced, when we're more worried about what others think in our response and our perception, our, the perception of us towards others, when that becomes the prevailing force in our life, that's when it becomes sin and that's when it becomes fear of man. Because in its natural sense, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is what keeps us safe. It's the reason that we just don't jump out in the middle of the road. Like, it's what keeps us safe. It's the reason we don't put our hand on the oven because we fear things. That is not a bad thing. But when it turns into something more, that's when it becomes sin. So as Christians, especially Christians who believe the gospel, as a baseline, we would say that Jesus' victory secured my own when he died for me on the cross. In other words, I have nothing to prove I have nothing that I could prove. That's why Christ had to come and live a perfect life for me. But more than nothing to prove, through Christ, we have nothing to hide. And the reason we have nothing to hide is before, because Christ came for us before <laughs> we sinned. He, he came for us before, he, he still came to die for us fully aware of knowing who we were and who we were going to be. We have absolutely nothing to prove and nothing to hide. And what the Bible is saying here is that the fear of man, making someone or something God in your life is a snare. And a snare, I'm not a hunter, but it's pretty straightforward. A snare is something that people, hunters use to catch animals or birds, and once it's stepped into, it's game over. And what this proverb is saying is to fear people, to step into that snare, to step into something that will catch you, that will hold you up, and make you pray, and it will stop you in your tracks. And I want to show, let's look at a story in Scripture that talks about this. So John 12, uh, John 12, um, it's a story that's with Jesus. And so what's happening in John 12 is, there are a group of people that Jesus is teaching, and a group within the group are starting to believe um, and are convinced what, what Jesus is saying is true and accurate. So they are, they are hearing his word, they are responding, they are hearing, and they're like, this, this guy knows what he's, this is true. Like, this, there's, there's, there's weight behind what he says. He's different. There's, there's something about him. And so they've seen his miracles. They, they've seen, his, heard his teaching, and they started to respond but they don't respond in the way that we expect them to. So in John 12, 42, it says this, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. So they believed he was Jesus. They believed in what he was saying about the kingdom of God. And they believed what he was doing through his miracles. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would be put out of the synagogue. And Jesus is a revolutionary teacher in Galilee. Like people are believing what, this, what he is saying. Leaders are, 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 are making, are believing these words. And what, what, the, what we see in this scripture is that it becomes more important to them, it's more difficult. Instead of saying, yes, this is who he is, even though we believe it, we're not going to make it public because it's more concerned about our status, our perception, and how we are going to be facing. Because if we say yes to Jesus, that means we're no longer part of the synagogue. We are no longer have the social status that we do. We lose everything. It would be catastrophic. 
And this is what I think is so crazy. Verse 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. These are men and women who, this, is, this, one, this one hits hard. Because <laughs> these are men and women who heard and believed in Jesus, but instead of doing anything about it, they let the opinion of man be their God. And I think what the Apostle John is saying here is that it's shocking that anyone would choose an approval rating over the creator of the universe. And that's exactly what they did. And what really gets me here is, and maybe I'm alone on this, how many times I remember saying as a kid, or I wish I was saying it was just a kid, as a 37-year-old, if I was just with Jesus, if I was just there when Jesus walked and I got to see Jesus do his miracles, my faith would, would change. I would not have any doubts whatsoever. Are you kidding me? They were there. They heard Jesus. They, they were there. But what became more important than the faith was about who was around them, and that was more important. So we wouldn't be any different. The fear of man affects us all, and just in case that isn't clear, here's a, here's a diagnostic. Do you struggle with peer pressure? And so often I think as adults we just say this is a kid's thing, um, and I definitely struggle with peer pressure as a kid. I still do. We just call it something different now, right? Like we, we, we call it different words. It's not peer pressure anymore. It's just, I don't know what it is, but we, we, it's just a, it, we just doll it up and make it something different. Are you overcommitted? Is it impossible to say no? It could be a sign that you love to be loved by others. Are you a people pleaser? I hate to say this to all the nice people out there, but if everyone likes you all the time, then that might be that you aren't really the most kind-hearted person in the world, but you simply know what to say in order to get people to like you, in order to not cause any types of waves. Unrelenting niceness can be man-created. Are your relationships more about being loved and seemingly lovely than actually being loving towards others? Do you have low self-esteem? And I know that seem like counterintuitive, like low self-esteem, but that is all, self-esteem issues are usually usually rooted in pride. Are you easily crushed by criticism? And and no one likes to be criticized, um, but be careful that you aren't putting your identity in other people's opinions, and so that's why criticism devastates you. Do you feel trapped by people's praise because you can never live up to their expectation? And this is one of those things, like, hopefully most people don't think so, but it's a lot easier... Um, it's a lot easier to not worry about people think if they don't like you, right? If they think I'm a jerk, it's not a big deal. But for the people who like you and have a, like just look up to you, that's a lot more difficult because those are expectations that I, it's really hard to live up to. Are you always second guessing your decision or yourself? Uh, and this is something um, that as Patrick, as my boss, um, has, has taught me so well. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Um, uh, so when I was in a role more, it, it's changed. So, and I still deal with it. 
When I was younger, and especially when the dynamic was, there's somebody uh, that I looked up to that, or had a role above me. I cannot tell you how many times in relationships, in a work relationship, in like dating relationships, as soon as I left that interaction, I would begin to second guess everything that I said. Like, I wonder if she thought I meant this, I should have said that, I can't believe I said that. You know, you would begin to second guess everything. And so now when I'm on the other side of it, now as I have a team around me, boss, uh, as I have a team around me, um, what I'm starting to realize is there's many times that uh, I'm in a meeting with someone who works with me, uh, not like Patrick who works for me, um, <laughs> who works with me, and, he, and, and it's just those conversations where they're like, you know, I, I think they walk out of that room and they're thinking, I wonder what Mike thought about that. I wonder if I said something wrong and so on. And I know without a shadow of doubt where my mind is as soon as I leave, I'm not thinking about you. As I'm in my truck on the way home, guess what I'm thinking about? What's for dinner? Like, I am not worried about you. And the thing is, what I'm starting to realize more and more is this, that when you realize, I've come to realize you wouldn't worry so much what others think of you if you realize how seldom they actually do. It's true, it's hard, but that's the reality of it. Do you get embarrassed often? We all do silly things, and it's healthy to laugh at ourselves, but if you are constantly embarrassed by little things or your family, then it may be that you're ruled by other people's, opinion, other people's opinions. <laughs> this one hits. Do you ever tell little white lies to make yourself look better? It's all too easy to save face or gain credibility by telling little lies about how much you pray or how much you weigh. Uh, I didn't mean to rhyme there, but there you go. Dr. Seuss. Um, or when you wake up or like for me that, you know, what kind of athlete I used to be, uh, and all these types of things, we make these lies in order to make ourselves look a little bit better because of the perception. Do you avoid people for fear of rejection? And how about this? How about evangelism? How about our faith? In Christ, how about Christianity? And we live in a time that <laughs> at 37, I'm like, the good old days is making more sense now, right? That more and more that we live in a divided world where we as believers, Christians, believe some really incredible, impactful, and bold things. And at the same time, we're in a culture where there's other people who believe some really impactful and bold things and they don't see eye to eye. And how many times have I caught myself lately more worried about being canceled than sharing or being the light in which we are through Christ. And that is a hard thing to think about. It doesn't get easy. And I think it's important for us to be able to step into that because there is times, yes, for winsome and difficult conversations, but at the same time, we have the best news. But why are we so scared to share it? And that's the one that just, just wrecks me because that's Mike McAuliffe. And if all of these questions have missed their mark, then consider this. <laughs> When you compare yourself with other people, does that make you feel good? Perhaps the most dangerous form of the fear of man is, success, is the successful fear of man. 
Some people are quite confident, but only because everyone has almost always been keen on them. We don't feel like a life built on the praise of man until it's gone. And, and this is the one that just, I, <laughs> this has been a rough week, y'all. I'm just telling you, this has been a rough week. Um, so thanks, Brandon. Um, I, even as I was preparing this and I was rereading through that book, uh, When People Are Big and God is Small, uh, one of the things that I started to realize is I started looking at my life and thinking, like, why do I do the things that I do? And I know I joked about grass at the front end, um, but if you've been to my house now, I have, I'm that guy with the lawn. Like, I have a real mower. Like the, it's, it's the one that the golf courses do. I mean, my, my, my child was here earlier, my, my daughter, my 11-year-old. Hopefully she said this jokingly, but she said, Daddy, you spend more time on the yard than you do with your daughters. I'm hoping that was a joke. But why do I care? But then I also think about the other things. Like, hey, if you got, y'all need some help with like some woodworking, just let me know. I'm, I'm here for you. I can build whatever you need to do. I'll, let me show you what I can build. I got all the tools. I can do that too. Y'all want to go play golf? I'm not a scratch golfer, but I'm pretty good. Like, how about this? Like, oh, if you need tech stuff, I can do that for you too. But the more I think about it is this. Like, why? Do I actually enjoy all these things? Do I enjoy doing any of these things? Or is it because I want you to, be, to love me? I want you to accept me. Is that what I'm searching for when I do all these things? And that's a really hard thing to think about because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I do what I do, and that's a really hard thing. But like, through this, it's reminding me like, what matters. What matters? And the question is this, what do we do about it? Like, okay, great. I see all these things about me. Yeah, I, I pretty much, yep, that, that one too. This is one of those tests you don't want to ace, but I pretty much ace this list. Um... So what do we do about it? Well, the biblical remedy is simple, but it's not easy. Let's look at the rest of Proverbs 29. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And we know that the fear of man is subtle and seeks to harm, but Proverbs 29.25 tells us more than that. It also tells us how to be healed. The only remedy for this tyranny is a deep, abiding and growing trust in God. We must find our refuge not in the praise and approval of one another, but in the arms and heart of heaven. And we must fear him more than we fear them. If God is small and relatively harmless, the shadows and the eyes of others will haunt us. Their expectations will corner us, their disappointment will crush us, their anger will undo us to be free from the enslaving fear of others. God has to be bigger than our expectations, bigger than our disappointments, bigger than their, been bigger than their anger, bigger enough, big enough to fear. But how? How could we ever, how could fear ever make us feel safe? Like that doesn't make sense. How does the fear of the Lord conquer our fear of man. And let's look at what the prophet Isaiah says. And Isaiah 8 says this. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, but nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. Only when God becomes our greatest fear can he become our safest place. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Honor him along as holy. And he will become a sanctuary. 
a refuge from David, a danger, a haven from wrath, a shelter in any storm. And let's look at one more example from the Apostle Peter, who is a man quite famous uh, for his fear of man. Um, the, the story is, if you've been around the church at all, it's, it's probably a familiar story. We think about Peter in the New Testament. What's written, and we're going to read something out of First Peter, and this happens after his story arc, a part of his story arc. And we see um, Peter's bold, uh, perceived boldness when he's with Jesus, all the things he's willing to do for Jesus. And, you know, he's willing to walk. He's doing all these things to show Jesus how, how devoted, how much he's in with Jesus. And he would go to the ends of the earth for Jesus, cutting dude's ears off. He'd do whatever he needed to do to show Jesus, I'm in Jesus. And when, it, when, it, when the opportunity came, Right before the crucifixion, Jesus is taken away, and, and, and Peter is warming himself by a fire, and a little girl, a 12-year-old girl, recognizes him. And she says, wait, aren't, aren't you one of those disciples who have been with Jesus? And he says, no, absolutely not. That's not me. I don't know that guy. That's not my story whatsoever. He was more concerned about a 12-year-old girl's opinion than the one he'd been following for the last three years. But then the cool thing about that story is that continues, as you know, after Jesus is resurrected and comes back, and, and there is a story of redemption there when, when, when Peter is reminded of who Jesus is, and, and Jesus restores Peter. And I, I can't help but think as we read these verses that as Peter was writing that, his story was playing out. That story of, of his life with Jesus was playing out in these words. And this is what it says. First Peter 1, 17 through 19. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. Do not fall into the same snare that the Jews of Jesus' day fell into, mistaking the lamb's wounds for weakness. Nothing we might fear is as powerful as this blood. Like no power of hell, nor praise of man can compare with the staggering, even frightening splendor of his majesty. Jesus is the dreadful king and judge who has become a sanctuary for all who believe. Shame on us if we tremble before criticism and yawn before the cross. We are not called to diminish other people either. Their desires, opinions, and expectations. Rather, we are to elevate God, his power and wisdom, his love and wrath, and let the bigness of God expose and quiet your fear of man. And then you're free to love, really love the people you are prone to fear. And so I was talking with Brandon yesterday on, on how to wrap up this sermon, and he mentioned seeing a bumper sticker that says, Fear God. And y'all might have seen them before, these Fear God bumper stickers, and just asking the questions, okay, that's great. What does that actually mean? Like, I, I mean, what, is, what does that mean? And so I don't want to leave here and just say, hey, go fear God. God bless you all. Have a nice day. Good marriage. I mean, congratulations, by the way, brother. <laughs> um, what does it actually look like? And so in order to fear God, not man, here are the steps Welch sets forth in his book. Number one, recognize that the fear of man is a major theme 
both in the Bible and in your own life. Step two, identify where your fear of man has been intensified by people in your past. Step three, identify where your fear of man has been intensified by the assumptions of the world. Like, where are those things where, as I'm living this life and, and being uh, engaging into this culture, where are those things that are just, just, just really get me? Number four, understand and grow in the fear of the Lord. The person who fears God fears nothing else. Number five, examine where your desires have been too big. Number six, rejoice that God has covered your shame, protected you from danger, and accepted you for you. And lastly, need other people less and love other people more. And out of obedience for Christ, we do these things. Like as, as, and as a response towards Christ loves towards us, it allows us to love people as we are called to. And, and to wrap this up, um, I have a confession. I, I told you earlier that nobody thinks about you all the time, and that's not true. God thinks about you all the time. God thinks about you all the time. He knows you better than anybody else. And in Revelation 19, the marriage feast of the Lamb, we see that the Lord longs to have a meal with us, where there's a reservation. And for those who are in Christ, we are most certainly invited. But before that meal happens, the king of kings is going to step on a white horse. The Lord of lords, who is faithful and true, is going to go headfirst after the deceiver, the accuser, the attempter, and he will silence him once and for all. The enemy's currency of fear will be bankrupt. And after that, we will share a meal with our king and our savior. And every time we gather as a church and we, we enter into communion and we take communion, it's a dress rehearsal for that meal that we all long for. But until that time, I want to encourage us to eat this meal, meal where we have the opportunity to renounce lies and to flee temptation and to say to whoever we might be tempted by, you're not the, the Lord of my life anymore. He is. I don't need your approval. I have it his. And until we are seated next to him at this meal, may we say, Lord, help us to see people, help us to be less concerned with what we get from them and more interested in what we can give, namely the love that he has given us. And so I, I didn't do this last time, so we'll see how it goes. Um, it's about three years ago my father passed away um, after, after a long battle with cancer. And I, I know there's people in this room who has had similar stories that I've walked through with dear friends of mine. And one thing that I am so thankful for is what I was allowed to do and able to do, and I know that's not everybody's story, is as my dad was passing, um, I was able to sit by him. Um, I was able to be with him in his final days. And you know what he never talked about? He never talked about, man, I really wish I would have said that thing to my boss. I really wish I would have. 
spent more time on that project. I really wish I would have done so-and-so, but what he talked about were the moments that he had with his kids. And those are the things that he remembered, and, and those are the things that he longed for. And I think of that like if there, anybody who's experienced somebody on their deathbed, one thing is not a part of that story is fear of man. <laughs> and so as we think about this and we wrap this up, let me just say, may we have that same mentality that the things that don't matter at the end of our lives, don't let them control us now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful um, for the reminder and how difficult it was this week um, and how many of these categories I am just acing the test. Uh, but at the same time, Lord, uh, um, I'm also reminded that acing that test and what it's actually done for me and, and just the treadmill that it seems to put me on constantly, Lord. So I pray in the quietness of, of these moments and today, Lord, that you reveal in our hearts the areas where we are fearing God, I mean, fearing man more than we are fearing you, Father, and that, and the, that we find safety in the fact that when our fear is directed towards you, you will protect us and you'll be with us, Father. So we love you and we pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.